Good morning, Highlands. Um, this is, it's crazy. It's been two months that I've been here on staff as the youth pastor, um, and it's been an amazing journey. Uh, two full months of getting to know all of you, getting to know the students and their families, just building relationships and just uh, becoming a part of the church. Um, and it's really been an amazing journey for me. Um, and really awesome to see, and I feel like I learn new names every single week. Um, and I'm just really, really enjoying it. And I'm so grateful to you guys as a church uh, just for how you have welcomed me, how you've prayed for me, cared for me, and loved on me uh, over the last couple of months. And I'm, I'm truly grateful. And I'm, I'm excited to be up here uh, and get to preach the word to you guys this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, you can go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 1. That's where we're going to be. And while you're finding that, I'm wondering... Have any of you in here ever gotten some really, really good news? Have you ever gotten some good news that was so good that it just blew your mind at how amazingly awesome this good news was? Have you ever been so just taken aback at something that was so unexpected and so good that it absolutely blew your mind? And what was your response like? Did you scream your head off? Did you jump up and down? Did you call your best friend or your parents and, and tell them the good news? Did you tell everyone around the amazing news that you had just gotten? Well, in Luke chapter 1, we're going to look at a lot, a lot of good news. So Luke chapter 1 opens up with a couple. It's a priest named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. And it says, Scripture tells us that they were righteous in God's sight but that they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and that they were both well along in years. I always thought that was such a nice way to tell people they're getting old, that you're, you know, you're just well along in years. I love that. But one day, Zechariah was chosen by Lot to enter into the sanctuary and to burn incense to the Lord. And while he was there, the angel Gabriel appeared to him and he gave him some really good news. The Lord was gonna answer his prayer and Elizabeth was going to conceive. She was going to become pregnant with their son, who we know would, would grow up. They were going to name him John. And we know the role that John, who we know as John the Baptist, would play in preparing the way for the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. And in Luke chapter 1, Gabriel appears, and he lays this out before Zechariah. And soon after this, Elizabeth conceives. She becomes pregnant with their son, John. And six months later... Gabriel makes another appearance, but this time to a young virgin in Nazareth who was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, and her name was Mary. And Luke 1, 28 through 37 tells us this, this, uh, this account, and the angel came to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked, how can this be, since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, 
And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. And having received this good news, that she was going to bear the Son of God, that she would give birth to the Messiah, that she would carry this baby in her womb. And hearing the news of her relative Elizabeth's pregnancy, she hurries to go visit Elizabeth. And she arrives in Luke 1, 41 through 45, says, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has received, who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. Just imagine this scene. Ladies, go here with me. Imagine that you've just become pregnant with your first child. One that was totally unexpected. You were unable to, have, to become pregnant, you, and you're pregnant for six months with your first child, and you're so excited and overjoyed for this child that is to come. And then your bestie comes in. She pays you a visit, and she says, girl, guess what? I'm going to have a baby, too. Ah! No way! You going to have a baby? I'm going to have a baby. You going to have a baby? I'm going to have a baby. We're going to have babies at the same time. We're going to have babies at the same time. They're going to grow up together. They're going to take their school pictures together. We're going to have, you know, get to sip our coffee while they do their little play dates. They're going to graduate together and all this. They're going to be so close. They're going to be best friends. We're going to be best friends. You're going to have a baby. Oh, my gosh. Imagine the celebration of that moment. Okay, maybe that's not exactly how it went down right here, but that's just how it, that helps me. That helps me picture this. But over the last month, we've been in this God With Us series, and we've been talking about how, as a church, we want to be a church that celebrates God with us in the different ways that we do that as a church, week in and week out, and with each other. And in receiving this news, in this chapter, in Luke chapter 1, we get to see Elizabeth and Mary literally celebrate God with us. How awesome is that scene? God with us, this scene of praise and of worship and amazement. And Mary responds. We read it last week at the end of, of our service together. Mary's song known as the Magnificat, Luke 1, 46 through 55. And Mary said, my soul praises the greatness of the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. And starting this week, over the next four weeks, each Sunday in December, as we're going through our Advent series, we're going to get to study this song of Mary and study how we're in celebrating the news 
of Emmanuel, of God with us, Mary describes several key attributes of the God who is with us. And this week, we're going to focus really in verses 47 to 48, where Mary says, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Who is this God with us? Who is Emmanuel? The text tells us Emmanuel is our Savior. Now, when we come to Luke chapter 1, this is not the first time that we hear reference of of God being a Savior. This is a familiar title all throughout the Old Testament, a common name for God. Just a few examples in 2 Samuel chapter 22, verses 2 through 4. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God, my rock, where I seek refuge. My shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, and my Savior. You save me from violence. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I was saved from my enemies. Psalm 17, 6 through 7, I call on you, God, because you will answer me. Listen closely to me. Hear what I say. Display the wonders of your faithful love. Savior of all who seek refuge from those who rebel against your right hand. Isaiah 43, it opens up. Now this is what the Lord says. The one who created you, Jacob, and the one who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and the rivers will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, and the flame will not burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, and your Savior. Isaiah 43 continues in verse 11. I, I am the Lord. Besides me, there is no Savior. Isaiah 45, yes, you are a God who hides, God of Israel, Savior. Isaiah 63, they are indeed my people, children who will not be disloyal, and he became their Savior. And Hosea 13, I have been the Lord your God ever since the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and no Savior exists besides me. Savior is familiar all throughout the scriptures. Everywhere throughout the Old Testament, over and over and over, is this testimony of God as Savior. But the unfortunate reality to that truth, the reality that underlies that is that in order for God to be our Savior, there must be something to be saved from. The reality that Emmanuel is our Savior implies that we need saving. And it takes us all the way back to the beginning of Scripture, right back to the garden. Genesis 3, we know the story. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. And we know the rest of the story. Eve partakes of the fruit. 
She eats the fruit. She gives some to her husband who is with her. Adam eats the fruit as well. They disobey God's command, and they must reap the consequences. Just a few verses later, God says to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. He said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. The consequence was laid out so clear. Death, disruption, dysfunction, all throughout every area of the created order. And the curse of sin did not stay in the garden. It made its way to each and every one of us. It made its way all throughout all of creation. And Romans 5:12 tells us, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. It got us all. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all under the curse. We're all given over to our own desires, to our own sin. We're all condemned to death. Each and every one of us, it made its way to us, to us all. But praise God that that is not the entire story. Praise God, just a verse before God pronounces this curse on Adam and Eve. Just before that, he pronounces the curse to the serpent. Genesis 3, 14 to 15, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Isn't it encouraging that before God ever pronounced the judgment on Adam and Eve, he foreshadows the coming one that was going to strike the head of the serpent, who was going to overturn the curse, the first promise of the Messiah, the first promise that there would be one to come that would be our savior. And throughout the rest of history, up until this point in Luke chapter one, God's people are awaiting this coming Messiah, this savior, one who would come, who would strike the head of the serpent, who would overturn the curse, this coming one. And who else could it be but this child in Luke chapter one that comes, is coming to Mary, this child, our savior, and the rest of the New Testament from that point on points back and affirms that this Jesus is in fact our savior. John chapter four, verses 40 through 42, when the Samaritans came to him, talking about Jesus, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said, and they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this really is the savior of the world. Acts 5.31, 
The Holy Spirit has come. The church has begun to go forward. And it says, God exalted this man, Jesus, to his right hand as ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. In Acts 13, 23, from this man's descendants, as he promised, God brought to Israel the savior, Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 1 Verses 9 through 10, he has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The entire testimony of the Old Testament prophesies and points to a coming Savior, one who would come and and be the Savior of God's people, and prophecies of which could only be fulfilled by Jesus. There's no one else in history it possibly could have been. It points exactly to when he's coming, what he's going to be like. Who else could it have been other than Jesus? And the, new tes- and the testimony of the New Testament points back and affirms over and over and over and reinforces the reality that Jesus, this man, really is the Messiah. He really is the coming one. He really is the anointed, the Savior. Our Savior has come. And this little child was born miraculously by the Holy Spirit And this child grew up, and he was like us in every way, yet without sin. And he performed the miracles, just like Scripture said that he would. And he taught exactly what Scripture said that he would teach. And he was lifted up on the cross, just like Scripture said that he would. And he poured out his blood for you and for me, for the sin of the world. And he was rejected, and he was slain, just like the scripture said that he would. And he rose again on the third day, just like scripture said that he would. And he secured our redemption, just like scripture said that he would. And now this child, this Jesus, is ruling and reigning now until all his enemies are made his footstool, just like scripture says that he will. So I return back to my original question. Have you ever gotten some really, really good news? Maybe earlier you couldn't answer that question. Maybe earlier you weren't able to honestly say you had received some good news. Maybe it's been a while since you've gotten some. Maybe the past couple of years and everything going on in the, in, around us in this country really has you down. Life's been beating you down. You're confused. You're left Left to yourself, it's been a hard run. You don't know where to turn. Maybe you're so desperate and so ashamed of your own sin and of who you are as a human being, and you and you're you're so hopeless within yourself. Hear this, brothers and sisters. Our Savior has come. He's here. And our only proper response is just like Elizabeth and Mary. The Savior has come, and what once was a scene of doom, a scene of despair and of hopelessness, is now a scene of hope. It's now a scene of praise, of worship, and of celebration 
of God with us, our Savior with us. And so in closing, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask everyone to stand up. I feel like it's only proper for us to pray in celebration and just acknowledging the goodness of God, our Savior, with us. And we celebrate this together. And so I'm going to close and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask that each and every one of us in this room would raise both hands in thankfulness to God, our Savior. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, Lord, we're so grateful. There's no words that we can really truly express to show how grateful we are, how grateful we should be. We're so undeserving. But you, before all time began, you knew exactly when you would send us our Savior. And God, we thank you. We acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. He is King over all, and he is our Savior And we acknowledge him in his rightful place as our Savior. We give you all the praise, all of the honor, all of the worship, and all of the glory. And we love you, God. And we thank you that you loved us first and you sent your son, Jesus, our Savior, to redeem us from our sin. We love you. Thank you for loving us first. It's your precious name we pray, King Jesus. Amen.